very easy to get caught up on that end goal, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, bringing in $100 million or launching that new product or whatever, but it's the little things that aren't so little, but it's those little things that you can do every day that, man, they just, they get you to where you need to be at the end of the day, but you got to keep that discipline. Welcome back to the Ways of Working podcast, your weekly dose of practical tips for senior leaders who are looking for a performance edge without burning themselves or their teams out. Today, we're talking with founder of the School of Grit and graduate of Kokoro Camp, which is the civilian Navy SEAL training equivalent, Brad Ritter. Brad, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, what's up, Jimmy? Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate this and looking forward to it, brother. Likewise. I try not to say this, but I am genuinely excited by having you on the show. And I want to you know, the the thing that was exciting to me was the two words grit and Navy SEAL civilian equivalent training. I want to go straight there. What is Kokoro Camp? And can you just tell us a little bit about that experience and how you ended up in that experience and what you learned from that experience? Because I think there's some really great lessons in there. Yeah, how much time do we have, dude? Because I could I could talk about this for hours. There, there's a lot we'll go there. As, we'll go as yeah. long as our conversation is fun for everybody okay. to listen to. Right on, man. So, yeah, as you said, I graduated from Kokoro Camp, which is it's based on Navy SEAL training. Now, I'll be the first one to throw my hand up. I don't want to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> Still don't want to be a Navy SEAL. I'm much too old for it. But what I liked about their training, what I knew of their training, was that they were considered some of the baddest people on the planet because of what they put themselves through, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. And I thought, man, if I could just get a taste of that, wouldn't that make life just a little bit easier? Not, not that life would be easy, but if I could learn some of those tools, some of those tactics to deal with uh, high pressure situations without my life literally being on the line and being in life and death situations, man, how would that translate uh, to, uh, you know, I'm a dad, so I've got kids and, you know, I'm married and dealing with, uh, you know, relationships and, uh, you know, I have a W-2 job as well. So I've got, I've got that and, and work with a lot of, uh, a lot of folks all across the country. So, um, so that's Kokoro camp and kind of what got me, <clears throat> what got me interested in it. Cause when I tell people, oh yeah, I signed up for this camp where they put me through 50 hours of training and no sleep and minimal food. They're like, why would you do that? Like, are you crazy? And I like to tell people, no, I'm not crazy. I'm just not you. But what 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 really spoke to me about this camp was um, I had I probably had a little bit of a different life than maybe uh, some of the other people you've interviewed or some of the, like the motivational speakers and things like that you, that you see. Uh, you know, you hear their speech, you see them on YouTube. Man, they've had just loads of usually adversity hit them in, in life and have just gone through some traumatic experiences, whether that's, you know, dealing with cancer, let's say, or being deployed or, uh, you know, you, you name it, right? There's lots of ways adversity can hit you. Well, I did a basically a little soul searching in my early 30s and just discovered that, man, I, I haven't really had that, you know, mm -hmm. whether that's luck of the draw or whatever, and not that you want that type of crap to to hit you, but you you know with life, like it's only it's just a matter of when things are going to hit you in the face. And you know what I came to the conclusion was, Jimmy, is that my life um, had been a little bit too easy. Mm -hmm. You know, re really, I'll just go out there and say it. Like I was too comfortable, and and uh, comfort can be a slow death. So what I was really looking to do is 
was shake it up and really see what I was made of because I had never put myself purposely into a situation where I would be pushed, you know, past my brink physically, mentally, emotionally to really see, you know, what my character is and who I was. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of times we can look at ourselves in the mirror getting ready uh, to go to work or go to school or whatever it is you're doing. And we can tell ourselves lies, lies after lies after lies about like what we are, who, what we look like. But I just, I just wanted to get real and, and really just strip all that crap away and see what was there. So that's why I chose that camp, man, was it was, um, it wasn't just a beat down camp. Yes, there were beat downs for sure. No question. And I broke several times, but the cadre there, the coaches were, uh, just the most professional and they taught me different tools and tactics to get through different moments. And man, that's just something that I've, um, I have not forgotten. In fact, I wrote a book on it because mm-hmm. I wanted people to learn those tools and tricks without having to get beat down for 50 hours straight. <laughs> and then I show people how to apply that to everyday life, man. So, um, mm-hmm. so there you go. That's the big answer to the question, the multiple questions <laughs> you put in there. And I'm sure we can dig into a lot of individual things here. Absolutely. When I think about our earlier conversations and some of the parallels that are drawn between what you went through with Kokoro Camp and and what I went through in British Army officer training, there's some very strong leadership parallels. I want to start there because our listeners are senior leaders who are looking for that performance edge. And often we look outside to how can I dial up the team KPIs or how can I increase the pressure on the team or how can we launch a new product or create a new service? Or it's always an external factor. But I think what you're talking about here is much more of you've got to go inside first, right? You've got to look in the mirror first. You came from a corporate, traditional, middle-class working life and, and you had essentially, you know, as you said, a very comfortable life. What was that moment where you said, I am too comfortable. And why did you just choose to go and do the hardest thing? What what was it that led you to that? I'm comfortable and I need to do something different. I need to prove myself. I need to go and get into the hardest potential training in the world. What was what were you looking for? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that uh, sort of man in the mirror, person in the mirror moment, you know, because uh, it's obviously not just for not men, women obviously have, have these moments. We all do, collect, collective humanity. And I, I literally had one though, it, and it was in my mid thirties. I'll never forget it. it. It wasn't nothing. Here's the thing, man. It's like, there wasn't one moment in my life that I could point to. It was just a collection of, of just the years of, of questions. And it was really, it was truly driven internally because I, for years I would struggle with that, with those questions of, you know, who am I? What am I here to do? You know, purpose. I know that gets thrown around a, a, a lot these days, but it's true. It's like, man, what is my mission? Like, what am I here on earth to do? Is it to work this corporate job the rest of my life so I can get a nice retirement and then, you know, retire down in Florida or, or, or something like that? Like, man, all that sounds nice, but uh, there's got to be more to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And too often, um, I find people identify themselves with, with what their job is. You know, so and that that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> we, 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 can, yeah. we can go down, <laughs> but I did too, man. I like I I would identify myself with you know, if you were to ask like who's Brad Ritter, oh I, oh I work for X Y Z company and I do this, mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. It's like nah, it's not really what I'm looking for. Like who, deep down, you're but like who are you? Are you a family mm-hmm. person? Are you 
you know, uh, what do you, what do you like? What do you, what don't you like? Like that type stuff. But anyway, back to that, back to that moment, I was in my early thirties getting ready to go to work and those same questions popped up, man. And, and I just, you know what I did? I listened to them and I got an intuitive hit and I took a mental health day back before there was such a thing, probably back then. Now it's quite popular. I totally believe in them. Uh, but back then, you know, at least in the States, that was probably frowned upon because it was very much, you know, the the rise and grind mentality. And we, and we still have that um, somewhat. But my gosh, if you need to take time off just because of stress or whatever and, you know, quote unquote, get your mind right, do it. Because that's what I did, man. I, I listened to those voices and instead of just dismissing them and going to work, I actually called in sick that day and, and I spent some time uh, searching. I spent some time reading and I went online and I typed in those words like, you know, purpose, passion, you know, things like that. And um, I read probably for a couple hours, just all these different, as you can imagine, there was no shortage of content that pops up on the interwebs when you type that stuff in. Mm-hmm. And I spent a couple hours just reading all kinds of posts and blogs. And at the end of it, <clears throat> I wasn't any closer to answering those questions. In fact, I was probably even more confused because they would ask me more. You know, those blogs were asking me questions. I just couldn't answer, man. These are deep questions. And mm-hmm. and chances are you're not going to be able to answer those questions right away. It's going to take some time. Uh, but what you'll find eventually is those those questions will be answered from within if you take the time to kind of kind of slow down and really start listening. So um, knowing that, I, I'm a big fan fan of video like i use youtube all the time to figure out how to you know work on my garage door or you, you know you name it so i'm all the time mm-hmm. on youtube so i thought you know what i'll go on youtube see if there's a cool video and uh luckily for me there was so i typed in um purpose and up pops a ted talk that literally changed the trajectory of my life wow. so this was kind of like my moment right and, the, and I'll never forget it. It was a TED Talk delivered by a lady by the name of Angela Duckworth. And she wrote a book called Grit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, grit? What is it? So, you know, gr- Angela says it's grit's the power of passion and perseverance to achieve a long-term goal. And in her studies, you know, many years of studies, uh, interviewing thousands and thousands of people from all different walks of life, from uh, inner city school teachers to, you know, high stress sales jobs to uh, military uh, personnel, the leading um, indicator and predictor of success in life was grit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I, I'm on to something here, right? So I bought her book, read it front to back, and basically grit can be grown, which is amazing. It's not a fixed thing. It's not like, okay, you're born and you've only got this so much grit. No, it, it, it can be grown. You can mm-hmm. also lose it, but it can be absolutely be grown. Like fitness, right? Like a muscle. Like fitness, absolutely. It's consistency over time. And and uh, you can grow it from the inside out, and you can grow it from the outside in. Growing it from the inside out is more um, what I would say, you know, um, self-help, that type stuff. She goes on to say it's a combination of like interest, hope, uh, deliberate practice, and there's one other thing. But um, you could also grow it from the outside in, which was – eliciting the help of like a coach, a mentor, or putting yourself in an immersive uh, experience, let's Mm -hmm. say, that's going to shape you, form you. 
like I'm sure you went through boot camp or, you know, whatever version of boot camp with your service. Yeah. See, I never did because I'm a civilian, but I, but I often having a lot of buddies in the military I often wondered, like, could I have done that? Or like, what would that have been like that, that shock to the system, so to speak. So I knew that's what I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to find uh, what I now call a school of grit that I could go to that, that could, you know, unlock my potential through that mm -hmm. purposeful adversity. So I go back onto uh, YouTube and I type in um, world's toughest civilian training and up pops Kokoro. So you went for like you... the hardest one straight out the bat. I did. I just, I, that's, <laughs> and that's how I'm wired, man. Is you could ask my wife. It's once I, once I get something in my head, like I'm jumping in with both feet. Like it's, it's zero to a hundred once, once I'm yeah. bought into something and that might take a while, but like, if I'm, if I believe it and I'm in, like, then I'm in, you know, and I'm going yeah. all out. It's the same thing with, you know, your job, your, your kids, what, whatever, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, yeah, so up pops this camp <clears throat> and it's, uh, put on by a gentleman by the name of, uh, Mark Devine. He's a retired Navy SEAL. I think he had about mm -hmm. 20 years in. And he runs uh, two companies. One's called Seal Fit. The other's called Unbeatable Mine. And the video, I'll never forget this either. If, if the TED Talk sort of changed my trajectory, this video probably changed my life because it mm -hmm. got me to attend the camp. And I wouldn't be here talking to you had I not done that. I can retrace it all the way back to there. So, so Mark's addressing... Uh, a class that's about to go through um, Kokoro Camp, which is modeled after Navy SEAL Hell Week. And if you don't know anything about um, the Navy SEALs or, or how they train, uh, they go through a program called BUDS, which stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL. Every, every one of them has to go through it. And inside of that six months, there's something called Hell Week, where they're literally up about a week with no sleep. They do get fed, but it's just constant, you know, physical, mental, emotional Let's just call it torture because that's what it looks like to me <laughs> on the video. And they're and Potential they're one discovery. Get, I think we call right. it right. <laughs> yeah, and, and their job, like they're not there to like teach you during that time. They're there to weed you out. So mm -hmm. if, if if there's 200 dudes that show up and they're a peak physical condition, I mean, I'm talking Olympic athletes, professional athletes, you name it. Out of 200, they may get 30 that last mm -hmm. at the end of six months. And I knew this just from studying, and I thought, man, what those thirty that stay? What do they have over over the others? And it's 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 mental toughness, it's emotional mm -hmm. resiliency, it's really the six inches between your ears that we all have, you know, our brains, how we think, metacognition, inner dialogue, all that good stuff. So Mark is uh, he's addressing this class. <clears throat> And he looks out at this class and, and everybody's, they're formed up. They have no idea what's about to happen to them. Only he does and the rest of the cadre. And, and he says, rejoice in adversity. Rejoice in adversity. How do we grow as human beings? It's through adversity. Warriors seek out the severest of schools in order to forge their character. Welcome to the severest of schools. And man, when I, when I heard that and saw that, I got, I still get goosebumps. I got goosebumps and, uh, the hair just rose and I, on the back of my neck and I thought I gotta, I gotta go there. Like, I, I don't know. I have a hard time explaining exactly why, but mm -hmm. I just know it's going to be so transformational for me. And I feel like I'm going to really find out who I am and be able to answer that question, you know, eventually.
And so it sounds like you did find it. That's a long out, story. Right? It sounds like you I did, did, I did find it. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm here. That's, 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 that's what I'm doing, you know, right now. That's part of my, mm. my mission and all that is, is what I'm doing with, uh, with School of Grit. But it never would have happened had I not took a giant leap of faith and, 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 and put, you know, put all your chips in, went all in, trained my butt off for it, dedicated my life to passing it. And, and that was the result. You know, none of this, none of I would, like I said, I would not be here talking to you right now had I not been for that one simple decision to say, yeah, you know what? Um, I am going to listen to my gut for once and Mm. I'm, I'm going to start searching for, for some of these answers. Uh, And thank you for sharing the story because it is, you know, it's fascinating to me that you as a civilian chose to put yourself through that. And obviously not every listener is going to go and sign up for a a SEAL experience or a SEAL-like experience, but there are some great lessons to be had for putting yourself outside your comfort zone. And it's something I know we talked about this previously in the explore chapter of, of the book we've got coming out. It's about, you've got to get outside your comfort zone. You've got to try new things. You've got to be curious. There's a great formula in the book peak performance, which talks about stress plus rest equals growth. And so it's that whole stretch your comfort zone. So your comfort zone becomes bigger by doing things that put you outside your comfort zone. This was obviously yours was the extreme version but I was wondering, can you give us an example of a moment during that experience where you were probably ready to call it a day, you were probably ready to quit, and you kept going because you wanted the growth that came from it. You kept going because you wanted to realize what your potential was beyond the standard stresses that most leaders face on a daily basis, you know, too many meetings, too many emails, whatever it was. You were at a different level of inner grit. Could you tell us a story about where you found yourself in that moment and what you did? Yeah. I mean, the first time I wanted to quit was literally within the first hour. <laughs> no joke. And I knew what was coming too. Yeah. And to equate this to, you know, work, a lot of times we know like, okay, this big meetings coming, coming, this big speech, this, this, whatever, you know, so we can prepare for it. And if you don't prepare accordingly, well, that's your own fault. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. joke's on you. So I knew within the, I knew the first two hours there was going to be an evolution called uh, breakout or shark attack, maybe as they're also commonly known. And what that entails is all the cadre, all the coaches come down from the stairs and they surround the group. And then all of a sudden what happens? Just pure chaos is what happens. Someone's on a megaphone trying to give instructions People are in your face yelling, screaming. They're hosing you down. You know, they're making you do every calisthenic you can possibly dream up. And they're they're basically smoking you and trying to get you so disoriented that you don't know what's going on. And it works. Super effective. And I'll never forget it because it was July. The sun was beating down. It was probably like 85 degrees. I did mess up. I, if I had it to do over, I would not have had coffee that morning because it dehydrated me. I would have hydrated myself with water. I was so thirsty, man. Like I, I, about an hour into it, I'm just, I'm, I'm done, right? I can't go any harder. And I'm thinking to myself, holy crap. I've spent, you know, the last six months of my life training for this, this, this experience, 50 hours. I can't even make it through the first hour, but let alone that, like, if this first hour is this, like, how am I going to do this for 49 more hours? Like, it's impossible. 
It's impossible. There's there's no way. And and that's when the doubt started creeping in, man. And I literally thought about quitting. I was like, well, oh, you know, it was it was a good it was a good fight, right? Like I, I gave mm-hmm. it all my head. But to your point, that's one of the things that kept me going was like, no, I'm in this for the long haul. I knew this would happen. What I need to do, and um, there was two things that really got me through that point. One was going back to my why, the the reason why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my why at that time, which is I still have this why with me today, was to uh, be the best version of myself so I could show up and be the best uh, father and um, husband and friend, brother I can possibly be. So uh, a lot of it, that was intrinsically <laughs> motivating for my family. And then the other, the other thing that got me through was, and we could talk about this later, they teach what they call the big four mental toughness because mental toughness can be taught. And one of those components is proper goal setting. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, in this particular situation, if I would have focused on the, the finish line with that chatter in my, in, in my mind of, holy crap, there's no way I can last another 49 hours. I'm barely making it through this hour. I would have crumbled, mm-hmm. but instead, I turned that inner dialogue into, "All right, I'm just gonna make it past this next these next ten push-ups that they're asking me to do, or I'm gonna make it past." You know, you you, you take that big goal and you chop it down into smaller, manageable chunks. And what that does is, um, for one, <laughs> it makes it way more believable for you mm-hmm. that you're actually gonna do it. But then it actually gives you some positivity, man, because it's like. You set a little goal, you achieve it. Boom, you got that. Now you set that next little goal. Cool. Now I'm going to crawl over here and I'm going to do that. And now you're, you're, you're building up your habit stacking, um, reaching, reaching little mini goals in order to get your, in, in order to get your big one. So, uh, yeah, that's the, the, very, the very first time I thought about quitting was like the very first hour, man. No, no joke. And I looked over after that particular evolution was done. It probably lasted about two hours. So just think mm-hmm. about two hours of doing every calisthenic you could possibly ever dream of. No food, no water, uh, people yelling, screaming at you. And you'll have an idea of what that felt like. And there was uh, about 50 of us that, that reported. Guess what happened after two hours? We had already lost, I think, five to seven people. 25 gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah not, not quite 20. Not yet. There, there will be. There would be that number because there's only about 25 of us that, uh, that lasted. And, uh, but I looked over and I, I didn't even realize other people had, had already thrown in the towel because I was just fo- so focused in on what I was doing and not what the, what the other team was doing. So there's some great lessons in there and so many similarities in, in the things we talk about. One of the things that came up for me there was your motivation activate activation reward cycle. So sometimes, yeah, when we, we set these gigantic performance goals, I need to last 50 hours. We need to make $10 million, whatever it is that the performance goal that your team is going for, it can seem really hard if, especially if you're tired and burned out, which a lot of people are right now, it can seem really hard to get motivated and to do that. But actually if we hack the cycle and just start doing small things, focus on the smaller achievable, we get a bit of reward momentum. We do something small, we get a good hit from dopamine, I achieved something, I'm ready to take on the next bigger thing. And that chunking down into smaller pieces, I really like that concept from a strategic implementation of performance, but also from a personal implementation of grit and resilience, especially when people are dealing with burnout. Like, I don't have to get through this year, I just need to get through this meeting and do a good job in this meeting. 
And I just need to make sure I do a good job on this email. I need to just make sure this one-on-one that I have, I show up and be the best leader I can possibly be. And I really like that idea of, I just have to get through this next bit and then focus on the next bit. It's because we can become as senior leaders, we can become obsessed on the long-term stuff, but actually it's about the now, right? It's the presence of mind, it's the inner resilience. Yeah, hundred percent. It's very easy to get caught up on on that end goal, whatever it is, whether it's you know bringing in hundred million dollars or launching that new product or whatever. But it's it's literally it's the little things that aren't so little, but it's those little things that you can do every day. That man, they just they get you to where you need to be at the end of the day. But you got to keep mm-hmm. that discipline and not look past to it, and 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 not rest on your laurels either. You know, like keep keep pushing, and then constantly. Um, you know, if you're part of a team, constantly checking in with your team too, just to see how they're doing, so on and so forth. I mean, that's something I'm sure we, we were going to talk about as well. But uh, Kokoro Camp is not a, it's not designed to be like Rambo, where it's like they're selecting like one person or something like that to make it. Th- no, it's not that at all. It, it's definitely a team event. Like you will not get through that weekend without working as a team. And that is super important in it with with today and performance of companies and and so on and so forth because i mean like it or not you're on a team you know you've got a team you work with you got someone you report to you're all you're all part of the team so you got to make sure everybody's uh sort of carrying their weight it's fascinating i did a lot of research on the navy seals when i was writing the book and they said the difference between the teams that get through buds and seal training are the ones that aren't successful are a group of high-performing individuals. The ones that are successful are like a murmuration of birds. And you know when you see like birds in the sky and they're all kind of moving as like this liquid unit around each other. And when, when one moves, the rest move to compensate. And when one drops, they rest drop to pick to sort of you know to be with them so they avoid the threat of predators. And so there was this beautiful kind of organic resilience in the team, the concept of the team. Mm-hmm. And I want to go there next. I want to go in toward the idea of performance coming from you as a leader, not doing it on your own. Actually, you're doing it as part of an organic murmuration of birds. You're doing it as a flock. What did you pick up while you were going through Camp Kokoro that made you, maybe it was an insight or maybe it was a, a validation of what you already realized that this was something we're going to have to get through together. And the real grit almost comes from the collectivism that we're doing it together. Performance comes from doing it together. Yeah. They had this evolution called log PT, which you may be familiar with. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So you, you know exactly where I'm going, but imagine like a telephone pole that weighs, I don't know, 300 pounds on up and you've got your team of, you know, five to six people and you got to hoist this telephone pull up and then they're going to ask you to go up over your head, go it from shoulder to shoulder. It's the ultimate um, teamwork experience because if someone's not pulling their weight or if someone's out of sync, you all are going to suffer and it's going to, it's going to be terrible. However, if you are acting as a team and you're synchronous, like those birds you were talking about, it can be the easiest evolution ever. You could go all day on it, but all it takes is for one person not to contribute and, and, and whatnot. So we were doing log PT. It was kicking our butts, as you, as you can imagine. And um, what they did was they took the uh, best performing team. <clears throat> we were right in the middle, <clears throat> but we, they took the best performing team and the worst performing team, and they switched the leaders out. So the leader from, quote unquote, the worst team went to the best team, and then uh, the best team's leader went to the worst team. And what do you think happened? 
I can imagine that the team performance started to shift. Team performance shifted. The best team slowly started not doing so well. The worst team, that that good leader brought them up. And that was to illustrate that, at least in this scenario, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. So, you know, how does that transfer to, um, you know, where you might be working? And granted, it could depend. I get it. But chances are, if you got hired, it was probably a regular, a rigorous hiring process. You had to go through several steps, several interviews and all that. So you were good enough to, quote unquote, make the cut because uh, they try not to let they try to get rid of the people that they don't think are going to be successful. And not that some people can't slide through. I get it. But it really is leadership and, and, and truly leading people. So you leaders out there, if you're in those positions and, you, you know, your culture sucks or, you know, you're like, damn, I'm on a bad team. Why is that? Look in the mirror like we talked about at the beginning. That starts with you. I've been there, too. We're, we're, those are some tough conversations. But that's where you just got to check your ego and try some different things. If what you've been doing isn't working, that's the worst thing you can do is just keep on plugging along and with your head down in the sand, you know? What are some of the questions that you would recommend leaders ask themselves if they're not seeing their team perform that are those look in the mirror questions? What would you recommend the questions be? I think a really good question that just popped in my head when you asked me that is, would my team follow me if I didn't have a leadership title, because you don't have to have a title to be a leader. And likewise, I know a lot, or I've worked with leaders who had the quote unquote leadership title, but they weren't very good at motivating, mm-hmm. at getting, at getting yeah, people. Talk, yeah. <laughs> I feel like our lives are overlapping. We talked about this last week in our mastermind, um, the difference between positional power and personal power oh, yeah. and the fact that yeah, leadership is a mindset, not a job title. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely, and, yeah, man. Completely right. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I mean, that's something I see a lot. Um, like, I mean, I worked many, many years in big corporate America and, uh, you know, lots of management positions, whether it was senior level, middle manager, whatever. That was one thing I felt that just lacked, though. There wasn't a lot of training on how to lead, how to lead teams, because mm-hmm. that's ultimately that's what it is, is you've got a mission. You've got your goal for your team. Well, now you got to you got to get your um, your team to follow you. Well, that a lot of that starts with trust. They're not going to follow you if they don't trust you. So then that's the other like, man, how do you build trust? And I guess guess what? It's not it's not easy and it's going to take some time. But I would Mm -hmm. definitely want an an, an open door quote environment where people could come to me with anything and they know I'm not just going to quote unquote get them in trouble or have the have the uh, spotlight put on them. You know what I mean? That's what you need. Mm -hmm. So if we go back to our our log example with this extreme performance requirement and you switch the leaders out and all of a sudden the the bad team starts to become a good team because the leader is different. Mm -hmm. That leader isn't some superhuman who is manually lifting the log themselves, right? They're doing different things. Yep, they're doing different things. Yep, they're telling people to switch out if they need to on on different sides of the log because maybe... If you haven't done this, height's a consideration. So if you're not all Mm -hmm. of similar height, well, if I'm super tall and someone's super short, there's a problem. (laughs) So you're going to have to, you know, make someone go up towards the front of the log, push them towards the back. And that's what a leader does. That's what a leader should do is be able to take yourself out of that little scoped tunnel vision and say, okay, I need to move some people around. 
and then we'll be able to mm-hmm. handle this a little bit better. Yeah. And it's that difference between doing the task and supporting the people to do the tasks. It's, it's that, it's that shift out of, I have to be the one who is in charge of everything, has all the answers, solves all the problems. And, you know, the log analogy is great, but it could be, you know, finish this project. It could be run this meeting. It could be execute this piece of the strategy. Your job as the leader is not to, to do all that stuff. Your job is to be like the conductor of an orchestra, or as you say, to be the person who's standing back from the log saying, Hey, let's shift a few people around. And if we try this and how can I help you and what needs to happen here so we can all get through this together. And I always appreciate a leader who, because I mean, you have to delegate as a leader, or I mean, at least you should. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's what you have a good team for. But I always appreciate a leader who would also get their hands dirty uh, when the time came. You know what I mean? Sort of like get in the trenches with mm-hmm. your employees. You know, I, I've seen the other end of that where it's like, you, all, you almost wonder like, what do they do all day? Or do they just tell people what to do? You know what I mean? I see you're shaking your head. So I know you've absolutely. had some experience with that. Yeah, and I, and I think it depends on the level of seniority of leader that you are. And you know, if you're a frontline manager, you probably have a, a fair balance of delivery of task versus supporting your team to deliver. If you're a C-suite person, your task list is different, right? Mm-hmm. You're focused on organizational structure and how do we drive culture and how do we support the business to create the performance that we want? How do we lead with the board alongside us? So there's a different focus of tasks on the task list. But absolutely, you don't have to be the example of the hardest working leader. You just need to be the leader that is showing that they are showing up. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. And if you're and if you're that C-suite leader, I mean, I encourage you to uh, go work with one of those frontline reps. Let's say because mm-hmm. uh, you, you you will lose your perspective, especially if if you haven't done that job in a very very long time. You know, because things change absolutely. every year. Things things change dramatically. So you you might. You might have a skewed perception on, oh, well, this is how I did it when, you know, I was a rep 15 years. Well, guess what? 15 years ago, a lot's, lots changed. So I encourage you to go out now and see how, see how the customers have changed, see what the new trends are, see what the no, new competition looks like, that sort of thing. That's what I mean by getting, getting dirty, especially for a, for a C-suiter. Yep. And, it, you know, as a leader, it's, it's inspiring, right? It's, it's inspiring. I mean... People want to see that, you know, and um, and always listen to uh, always listen to the person on the ground is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, if you've mm-hmm. got this strategy you've spent many months on working on, and you get more than one report from like the people down the trenches saying, "Hey, this isn't going to work, and this is why," you should probably listen to them. Yep, you should listen to them, and if that means scrapping your plan, so be it. Pivot. Operational performance improvement, right? Yep, we, if we go back to sort of the, the lean six sigma stuff, go to the Gemba, go to the place where the work is done, ask the person who is working on that conveyor belt, ask the person who's going doing their sales meetings, ask the person who is doing the manual work, how could we make this better? Because yeah, you as a as a senior leader might not necessarily have the context or the detail that's driving all of the performance results up through the business. Exactly. Brad, I, honestly, I could talk to you for hours on this stuff. I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated and I'm sure other people would be interested to connect with you as well. If people want to reach you and have a, a longer conversation, if they want to find out more about the School of Grit, what's the best way to, to reach you? Yeah, just go to my website. It's probably the easiest way. Just go to schoolofgrit.org. So that's .org, not .com because I don't own that domain, but just 
go to schoolofgrit.org. You'll find all my contact information is on there. If you want to drop me an email, it's brad at schoolofgrit.org. I respond to all my emails. So that's, that's the easiest way. And then I'm on social media as well. So feel free to direct message me. Love to help you out and support you. We'll pop all those links in the show notes so people can find it as well. If you were to leave our listeners with one lesson that you picked up at Camp Coro or that you've learned as a result of your work with the School of Grit now, what would be that takeaway lesson that you would encourage leaders to focus on if they want to get that performance edge? Yeah, I'll tell you a lesson that was passed down to me with the very first person I interacted with at, at Kokoro Camp. We had a uh, senior uh, Navy SEAL. He was actually active at the time. I won't mention his name, but he came and um, he told us, you, you will be successful if you can do these three things and these three things right. And I'm thinking, oh man, I, I better write this down. It's so important. It's so simple and I use it every day. So I encourage you to internalize this. Breathe, think, and execute. So by breathing, you give yourself a little bit of time to formulate a good response instead of a reaction, let's say. Breathing also helps to uh, calm yourself down, lower your heart rate, all that good stuff. So, you know, the next time you're in a big high stakes meeting with a customer, you're talking to your boss about a raise, you know, that type of thing. So breathe. I want you to think. So by breathing, you're going to allow yourself some time to think. You're going to think of a good and appropriate response instead of having a, a knee jerk reaction. And then execute, do it, take a massive action, do what it is that you just thought of. So breathe, think and execute and you'll be successful. Pretty easy, huh? Simple. It, it sounds super And it works, man. It's so simple. Especially if you got kids out there, I, I encourage all parents to try that when they're spilling food or doing whatever. Like I'm going to think, I'm going to breathe, I'm going to think, and I'm not going to explode on them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I genuinely appreciate your time and wisdom. And I'm sure that we're going to have future conversations in a whole lot of other angles because there's so many things we, I think we overlap and we think the same about sure. performance and how you can reach those next level performance goals that you're thinking about as a, a senior leader in the organization. That's a wrap for this episode of the Ways of Working podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast platform so you don't miss our upcoming episodes. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review with your thoughts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Your feedback helps us improve and grow our community of senior leaders seeking a performance edge. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.